are in 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 6 today. Uh, kind of an intro. Last week, we, we don't really have a review today because last week we were just dealing with some of the uh, intrigue of David and his uh, the, uh, the leftover uh, allegiance to Saul kind of dissipates and uh, uh, David kind of gets to a point now where the whole country is ready to accept him as king, and so that's kind of where we are today. Let's stand, though. I want to read a little bit out of chapter 5, and then a little after chapter 6, just to give us an idea of what's going on here. We will, I think there's a, especially in chapter 6, there's a very interesting lesson to be learned. In chapter 5, verse 1, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are bone and flesh, your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. So they understood that really the one who was protecting them and really blessing them, the Lord through somebody, was David. And so the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years at Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. I turn over to chapter 6 then, and we'll begin reading verse 1 as well. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Beljudah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. In other words, you know, obviously Jerusalem was not the capital city at that time, and so the... Uh, tabernacle and all that had uh, remained somewhere else and David as he became enthroned in Jerusalem decided it was time to bring the tabernacle and especially the ark to Jerusalem <clears throat> and so in uh, it says in Uzzah and Ahio the son of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark David and all the house of Israel making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nathan, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah, or the breach of Uzzah, or the mistake, you might say, that Uzzah made to this day. Maybe see it. Alright, so, going back to chapter 5, we see here some of the events that led up to the taking of Jerusalem, and, and David becoming, uh, using that to be his capital city. He built this house there, and of course we know later the uh, tabernacle as well, or the temple. And uh, so we notice, first of all, um, in the first couple of verses, that everyone, as I said, everyone knew that the Lord uh, 
was using David to bless Israel, uh, that David had been uh, anointed king and so forth. It was, you know, everybody kind of knew that anyway. And so they basically, at this point, you know, have taken what we studied in chapter 4 last week, the northern tribes come to David and say, look, we, we understand that you should be king and we're ready to make you king and to unite the country as it should be. And so, um, just again, there's some parallels here with David and, and Jesus, obviously, and you see here that all who lay down their arms and submit to David will find peace. And of course, we know that's the case with Jesus, right? And um, what what brought it about? Well, it was dissatisfaction with the old king, just kind of like when when uh, Israel uh, was ready to leave uh, Egypt. It, it took the Lord made the uh, oppression of Pharaoh so great that it, it they were happy to follow Moses, right? Well, in a sense, it's what happens with us when. We hear the gospel and God works in our hearts. We begin to see the uh, futility of sin and we're ready to embrace our Savior. And so we kind of see this taking place now as uh, David starts to establish his kingdom. Then uh, down in chapter 5, a little bit further, we learn that as he um, gets ready to uh, take Jerusalem. Now, the, the problem with Jerusalem and, and maybe if you remember from Judges, you might wonder what's going on here because they, uh, over in Judges, when they first came into the land, it says that they took Jerusalem and they burned it with fire. And so you think, well, why did David have to retake Jerusalem? Well, as we kind of saw, Israel's initial invasion of the land went, went pretty well, but there were places where they either... Uh, never really fully took, or they uh, didn't keep it very long because of their lack of faith and commitment. And Jerusalem was one of those places. And so the Jebusites moved back into it, obviously, and had been there for, obviously, you know, two or three hundred years, however long it had been. And so David says it's time to take this place. And one reason I think he wanted it is because Jerusalem is a very easily defended city. If you go and you look at the way it's laid out, study, for instance, the how the, the, literally about a year that it took Rome to take Jerusalem in 70 AD, you see why David wanted that to be his uh, capital city, and say, well, how did he take it then? They took it pretty easily. Well, there was, evidently, you know, he realized that there was uh, some underground uh, of the water supplies that the city was able to um, get from inside, and uh, he knew where they were, and they evidently were accessible, uh, if, you know, in some way, and so he basically said, whoever uh, goes through there, and uh, because the Jebusites had basically said, look, we're, you're not going to take our city, even the lame and the blind could defend this, and so David said, okay, let's, uh, he, he challenged his men uh, to uh, go and take uh, the city. And he said uh, in verse 8, Whoever should strike the Jebusites, let him get up from the water shaft and attack the lame and the blind. He kind of says that tongue-in-cheek. <clears throat> Who were hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Uh, for, for our second Chronicles, uh, first Chronicles tells us that Joab took the challenge. Because Joab is already kind of like the commander-in-chief. And so... David saying, look, whoever takes the city will become my commander-in-chief. I guess Joab 
uh, says, well, that's not going to happen. So he, he's the one who goes through here and uh, kind of takes them by surprise and takes the city. And again, if you can read uh, some of the uh, uh, theories about which, how this water supply, which water supply they use and so forth, it's interesting. Uh, in fact, if you looked up Warren Shaft, you would see uh, some of this stuff they, uh, that we're talking about here, and they kind of explain it in detail. But anyway, it just shows, though, that once you are familiar with the area, you realize that this actually was something that was possible, and, and no doubt the way that uh, it took place. <clears throat> well, then David, of course, accumulates to himself <clears throat> an army, and second, or First Chronicles, again, chapter 12, gives a little bit more information about this. It says these are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops. And this, again, is supplying information that Second Samuel does not, but this is the same time period. He came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him according to the word of the Lord. So uh, when, once all of Israel acknowledged David as king, then uh Different, you know, men from each tribe came uh, to support him, and he kind of like he numbered as part of the armies. So all these men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to heaven with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king, and they were there with David for three days, eating dishes for their brothers, and made preparations. And also the relatives from as far as the Sakura, Zebulun, and Nazarite came bringing food on donkeys and on the camels and on the mules and oxen, abundant of flour, cakes of big clusters of raisins and wine and oil, oxen, and there was great joy in Israel. So, of course, their feasting is David's coronation, you might say, and it kind of reminds me the words were called a revelation that someday we shall enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, Christ is uh, the Fullness of the kingdom is manifest. We shall be able, it'll be a great time of feasting and rejoicing, right? And, and all that. And so, again, this is kind of some of the things that we would expect. And so, we, we've seen here then that David, as I mentioned here, has, his kingdom is in two parts. The seven and a half years and the 33 years, making basically 40 years altogether. The shorter part, though, we, we've been seeing him do great deeds and gaining favor of the people, what we've kind of seen in, in the earlier part of this book. And then the longer part, though, he will be in Jerusalem reigning over the nation. Well, again, let me just read some verses out of the book of Psalms uh, so that we can see some of the parallels between David and Jesus and just to remind ourselves what we're really supposed to see here, not, not just historically, but in types and shadows, you might say. Over, if you want to turn to Psalm 18, first of all, Psalm 18, and we'll begin reading in verse 43. <clears throat> Psalm 18, verse 43. Let's read down through verse 50. It says that again, keeping in mind uh, what we just saw here with David, you delivered me from strife with the people, and you made me the head of the nations. 
people whom I had not known served me. Well, that's what we see with David, right? The, the northern tribes have now come to, to uh, see him as king. As soon as they heard of me, they they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing before me. We'll see that in just a moment here with Hiram from Tyra. Foreigners lost heart and kept trembling out of their fortress. Came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and bless. Blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Of course, that's a song that we sing. So, uh, and God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who delivered me from mine enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. Perhaps you're referring to Saul. For this I will praise you, O Lord among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows great steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So again, you see Jesus as he uh, subdues the nations, if you will. Look over at, well, I have this one on the screen. Psalm 132, 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. Well, Zion is a, is a name for uh, Jerusalem. It was known as Zion, the hill of Zion, right? It was built on that hill. And so, David chose Jerusalem to be uh, the place where he would uh, rule from. He had desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless the provisions. I will satisfy the poor with bread. For priests, I will clothe with salvation, and the saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to shout for David. I have prepared a lamb for my anointing. So, this is a city that the Lord David reigns from, right, and blesses his people. Well, we know, of course, the uh, many times in the Old Testament, Zion is used to uh, speak of the future dwelling place of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is in the church. Zion, city of God. What's the song that we sing? Um, uh, oh boy. We're marching to Zion. It speaks of the kingdom, the, the church that we're in now. And so you, if you read that, you say, well, yeah, I can see where a lot of that really parallels what Jesus Christ is doing uh, today, right? And we're, we're headed uh, as, as he prepares his kingdom. Turn, if you would, to uh, Psalm 87. Then we'll kind of leave this, but just wanted to kind of give you a, again, because there's lots of places we could go in the Psalms, especially that, that deal with these very things. But Psalm 87, let's just read the first five verses. See if these if you recognize anything here. On the holy mount stands stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And of course, obviously the hymn writer. Glorious that's a song that's a song I was trying to say. Glorious things of thee are spoken about the, the church and the kingdom of God that the Christ that he is um, establishing. I'm among those who know me. I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. Again, notice here that he uh, refers to primarily Gentiles who will make up the kingdom as well. This one was born here, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. So one of the things that is the church is known for is that it is growing. People are being born again, are being brought into the church. That's what's going on here. People are being born into this city. 
and so again, there's just as you read, you kind of just dig through the Psalms and begin to see uh, many of these things that are brought out. Of course, in the prophets as well. Um, <clears throat> so Christ has set up His reign in the hearts of the New Jerusalem, which is the Church of Zion. Um, if this is where Melchizedek, Melchizedek from uh, the uh, chapter of uh, uh, Genesis, Abraham met Melchizedek, it said that he was the king of Salem, and many assumed that that meant that he was actually the king who reigned in ancient Jerusalem, back when it was known as Salem. Uh, and uh, if that's the case, what happened? Well, obviously, at some point, Melchizedek dies off, and uh, is taken over by a cursed people. The Jebusites were part of the Canaanite people that were cursed. It was taken over. His his dwelling place was taken over. And later, David comes and uh, drives them out. Well, this is not kind of what we see on earth. The Lord established the earth. And uh, Satan came and disrupted that and brought in rebellion. And Jesus Christ enters into uh, the incarnation comes down to earth and uh, is in the process of removing, of taking back that which is God. So, again, there's a lot of interesting, I think, things there to think about. Uh, one thing here before we leave chapter 5, though, uh, down in verse 12, notice what it says here. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David understood that his primary uh, duty as king was to be a benefit to his people. Of course, that's just a great observation for anybody who's in any kind of leadership, that you're always, any leader is to lead for the benefit of his people. If you're not doing that, then uh, you're, it's going to be just self-serving. And so, uh, of course, you know, Jesus is our mediatorial king. He is, but he's, he's ruling in this kingdom now to bring, uh, to, to save souls, to, to bring people into a saving knowledge of, uh, of, of himself, right? So his, his kingdom is for the benefit of his people, that we might know God, right? It's not just something that he's doing just to throw his weight around. It's, it's something good for us. Um, verse 13 says, um, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to uh, David. We're, of course, as we go through these things, we, we kind of see things that are going to be uh, brought up later on. David has kind of setting himself up for some problems. Um, but right now, the emphasis is not on David's sin. That's going to come later. In his awful family line. But it does remind us that David, while all this is going on, is a picture of Jesus Christ, but he is not Jesus Christ. This is, we study David to learn of Jesus. Uh, there's nothing special about David other than that's what he's being used for. And, and so we see the good and the bad, the negative and, and the good. Uh, and the Bible never shies away from showing that when we are studying people in the Bible that helps us from hero worship uh, David as great as he is he's still a sinner just like us we study David so that we can worship his greater son well the last thing in chapter 5 uh, starting in verse 17 is David 
defeating the Philistines and it kind of just kind of broke the back finally of the Philistines that were never really much of a threat at this after this. And the interesting thing here is that as you read the account, um, they they you know the Philistines hear that David had been enthroned, and so they I guess feel like well we got to you know nip this in the bud uh, and try to stop this. They no doubt knew who David was. They knew he had defeated Goliath. They, they probably afraid of David, wanted to stop this. So they come up in battle, and David uh, asked the Lord, should I go up? Will you give them into my hands? So David, again, is acquired of the Lord. He's not just doing things on his own. He's very careful to uh, adhere to the word of God. Again, example of Jesus, when he came, and how did he overcome temptation those 40 days in the wilderness? Uh, through the word of God. He quoted the word of God. He's safe, right? So, the Lord says, yes, go up against them and I will deliver them into your hands. And so he goes up and he defeats them and they, uh, he, he grabs their idols and there's a great defeat. At the end of verse 22, uh, there was uh, still enough to mount a second uh, battle. They come up and they spread out in the valley of Rephraim there in, in verse 22. And so David does the same thing. Should I go up? Will you give them to my hand? And the Lord says, yes, I'm going to give them to your hand, but you're not going to go out and meet them. What I want you to do is to go around from behind. And when you hear the sounds like wind in the treetops, then um, then you attack. And that's what happened, of course, you routes them. You say, well, you know, it's interesting. Why is that in here? What, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Well, you know, I think that the, the most obvious thing to me is that it just reminds us that we don't always fight the same battle the same way. Uh, they were supposed to fight, but the Lord to give them victory in a little bit different way. And so, um, his path to victory was not the same. And um, and I think something that we can benefit from that, because, you know, we, we go along and, and maybe something happens, we're able to do well against it, and so the next time it comes, we think, well, I've got this covered, I've got this figured out, perhaps we don't even pray about it like we should, we don't really seek God's guidance in the Word, we think, well, okay, this is, you know, this is how I, I got this thing licked the last time, so I'm going to do the same thing this time, and we might fall flat in our face. So what, what I say here is that we just got to remember that sometimes the Lord is going to lead us in a different direction. You know, it's not, not contrary to God's word, uh, but it's going to be different. And the Lord's going to throw us curveballs. He's going to make things different. Uh, he's got different things he's doing with us. And don't get comfortable when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to serving the Lord. Be ready to face opposition and be ready for things to happen that you didn't see coming. From the case of David, David would have never thought this, but this is what the Lord said I want you to do. Um, new challenges, be ready to adjust. Don't feel like you've got everything figured out, because that's but of course the problem is with all that is complacency, right? So I just thought it was kind of an interesting uh, take on uh, David here as he fought the Philistines. But anyway, that leads us to chapter six, which is kind of a We've already spent a lot of time here, but I wanted to, there's a real important lesson I think you can see in chapter 6. As David wants, and again, think of it in David's 
he wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem, and he's just all excited about bringing that which represented the covenant and, and the Lord, the wrong place of God between the cherubims. He wants to bring it to Jerusalem, and eventually wants to build a temple and all that. Everything he wants to do is good and right. And so he, 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 he get a cart, and they bring it, they start to do it, and, and Uzzah reaches out when the, when the Oxen stumble, whatever went on there. He reaches out and steady the ark, and he, the Lord strikes him dead. And David just is very angry. He does not understand. And he can, and you can already kind of start to think about this, how this you can see in their own lives. We're doing the right thing, you know, and all of a sudden the Lord turns it all and said, "It doesn't work out the way we want it to." Which how many parents perhaps? So faithful to raise their children the Lord, and they get out of the house, and uh, it's very evident that they don't want the Lord. So they don't want to stop it's easy to get disheartened, to be angry at God, to say, "Well, look, I'm doing the right thing. What's wrong here?" Well, that's what we find here. But I think in it we find uh, also a lesson in proper worship, which is all kind of tied in. Um. David is a man who is concerned that the Lord be properly honored and be in his rightful place in the center of the nation in, in, in Jerusalem. Um, but there's a parallel here in this chapter. What we're going to see is that there is great joy as the ark is being brought into the city and then there is anger and grief as other is struck, struck dead. And then when David gets all that figured out and they continue to bring the ark later on into Jerusalem, he's again celebrating with great joy and Michael, his wife, David's uh, or Saul's daughter, uh, is standing there and she starts to get on David. What in the world do you think you're doing? You're dancing around like a fool. You're making a fool of yourself. David says, wait just a minute. I'm doing this for the Lord. not to be seen by somebody else, right? I think there's something here about worship and obedience that it is very good for us to uh, consider. Um, first of all, we notice the good intentions. Good intentions do not necessarily constitute obedience. In other words, we can want to do the right thing, maybe kind of going back to the last chapter, but we forgot to ask the Lord about it, and we're not doing it the right way. And that's what's going on here. It's not that the Lord says, well, you know, I, you're worshiping me, but I don't, I'm just going to be mean to you. I'm just going to put you through a trial. And no, it's not really that. It's that they, they're doing the right thing, but they're doing it the wrong way. And God says, wait just a minute. Uh, I, you are to worship me, but you're going to do it the way I tell you to worship me. You, you don't make up how you're going to do it, which is what, um, David is doing here. Um, but the problem is, is that they were disregarding the word of God as they did it. it. We read back in Exodus that when they built the ark, it was to be carried, as all the furnishings were, by the Levites on poles, right? In fact, there's a place there where uh, Moses tells, removes all the carts from the Korathites, who were the ones who kind of were in charge of that, so that they wouldn't be tempted to put them on a car. Alright? And David knew that. So he said, well, where, where do you get this idea of putting with a car? Well, from the world. 
Remember the Philistines at the beginning of the book of First Samuel, when they stole the, the ark in battle, and they sent it back, and they put it on a cart pulled by oxen, which was not the way that that ark was to be transported. Well, one thing for the Philistines to do it. But here it seems like David has taken his cue from the world. It worked well. It seems to be working well in the world. So why don't we bring it into the church? Why don't we do it here? And the Lord says, no, it's not going to work that way. So they're doing things the wrong way, and it starts to fail. The ark starts to maybe tip over, it looks like, as it touches it. And God strikes them dead, which is what they knew would happen if you looked at the ark the ark, it was forbidden to do so. And so they worship like the world and they pay the price. So again, think about the picture. They're, they're busy rejoicing in God and singing and dancing and praising the Lord while all along they're ignoring the plain revelation of God. And it's an easy trap for a church to fall into. I think that it is something that a lot of churches don't even think about anymore. Whatever works, what we'll do, whatever we think works, regardless of how the word uh, might deal with those things. And God is not, was not impressed by this. And so good intentions do not justify doing things our way or in a biblical way. So this is why we take care to obey the Bible, to listen to what God says about worshiping him and not coming up with extra biblical ways. You run the danger of forgetting what is important. When you start to think, I will do what we want to do. And whenever you start to minimize the study and the understanding of God's word, you're left to your own devices, right? So we might think it is a small, some might think it's a small matter to let a woman, for instance, teach her a study school class. You know, after all, it's clear that she has some a good insight into what the word teaches. So, you know, it gets the job done. Uh, why not? But a lot of people believe. But the problem is the Bible's very clear that a woman will not, cannot teach a man the word of God. And so uh, that is something that must be obeyed. And when we, when we, as, as many churches are doing, decide we know better than the Lord. The Lord doesn't mean that for us or something like that. Uh, it's going to not work. We might be it, uh, tempted to de-emphasize hard doctrine to get more people into the church, but we're not honoring the Lord. We're only thinking of ourselves. Uh, I think we think that we're better at honoring Him than He is. You know, like we have a better idea of how to do it than, than He does. But clearly, honor at all costs is not what God wants. He, he wants honor in a certain way. He wants honor that uh, reflects who He is and what reflects truth. That's why Jesus told the woman, the Samaritan woman, the day is coming uh, in which you shall worship me both in spirit and in truth. You know, spiritual worship, but it's according to truth. And there's a lot of people that seem to grab hold of that first part, and they're all about the spirit, although that's not necessarily the, the emphasis there. It's, it's spiritual worship. But of course, the spirit is involved in spiritual worship, but they emphasize that, but it's always at the expense of truth. So how do you know what is spiritual worship if you don't know what the truth is, right? And you see David doing that. David is engaged in spiritual worship, but not according to truth. 
So we don't make it easy to get saved. Easy believers. And we don't just, you know, get the kids, for instance, to repeat after us. I've seen that done. But just make it easy. Just get them to walk the aisle. Get somebody to walk the aisle, whatever. We don't bribe people or entertain them to get them to come. Because that actually distracts us from the truth about God. So it's no surprise that the cart tipped because God is going to always bring to naught those kind of methods. And, and we can't worry about the fact that it looks outwardly successful because there's there's great growth in a group that's doing something like that. It doesn't matter if they're if they're clearly obviously disobeying the Lord. <coughs> Our ways only cause confusion. <coughs> So many today think that the local church is just an option for the Christian life, you know. They think Christianity is primarily a, between me and Jesus. Well, the problem is that's not what the Bible says. Is it about you and Jesus? Yes, certainly that relationship. But you're being brought not just into Christ, but you're being brought into the body of Christ, which is the church. You can't worship Christ or serve Christ outside of the church. I know a lot of people who think that uh, really Christianity is just family worship. You know, it's just us and the family. We worship. We don't really need the church. We don't need other people. The family's the worship. Well, I'm off of family worship. Absolutely important and necessary. But that's not uh, local church worship. That's not corporate worship. That is an aspect of being a Christian, right? So, again, it's easy for us to get so full of ourselves and think we know better than the Lord because we downplay what the Bible actually teaches. <clears throat> so the fact that they have defeated the Philistines and the Jebusites is good, but that's not what defines them. It's who is among them. It is, as David refers to, the Lord of hosts. That's what matters. Not the latest campaign against sin that they have won. Uh, it, is, it is about the Lord. It is about worshiping and honoring Him. Uh, the reason it was important to defeat the Philistines is because they would stop you from worshiping the Lord, right? They would bring in idolatry. So it always goes back to the Lord. So it seems that, like, since this type of activity is the focus of many a church today with little regard to actually listening to the Lord, many churches fall into that trap because they forget why we're doing why? So here we're. What kind of song service are we going to have? Well, it, 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 it's not so important as uh, as it is. What are you going to be singing? Right? What what kind of songs are we going to sing? You know that that's what what, what songs reflect the glory of God. You see? And, and it's easy to forget about all those things and just see what kind of music to get in the most crowd. Well, that's neither here nor there. So our merriment, even over the person of God, is not as important. David had great merriment, in a good sense, over the Lord. But that's not as important as fearing him in proper reverence. In other words, David had gotten a a bit ahead of himself a little bit. Uh, He was all about the Lord. But, and 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 I've said this before, you know, I I think a lot of, of, of worship, uh, services and, and things 
people love to sing about worshiping the Lord, but they're not actually worshiping God because they 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 slide His word. They're not careful to study His word. They're, they love to sing about God, but they don't really know that much about God. And again, you listen to Caleb, and you listen to all that the, the, the words, and you think, really? Have you ever opened your Bible to write a song like that? You know, not all of them, but there's certainly some like that. I was telling the men uh, at the men's meeting Friday uh, that day. I had uh, followed. A, I had saw a bumper sticker on a car. Uh, it was a takeoff on. Uh, I play, I play well with others, but the bumper sticker said, I pray well with others. And then the others were all these different symbols of, of world religions. And I'm thinking, that person can't possibly have any clue as to what the Bible teaches, any clue about what the gospel is, to say that you can sit down and pray well with Muslims and Mormons and Hindus and whoever. You have no clue what you're talking about. See, and I think again, it's not that you say, "Well, we don't do that," but it's it starts somewhere. When you start to minimize the truth of God's word, His revelation to us, again, you know, pick on some services of many churches that maybe last 30, 45 minutes or more, and I, I don't, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with having a long music service. But what you find, of course, is that often it equals to or exceeds the kind of careful Bible study if there's any of that at all. And so what you've got is, Lord, we feel like it's more important for us to speak than it is to hear what you've got to say. Like the Lord wants to hear us sing praises to him more than we are to hear what he has to say to us. See, you, you've made it all about yourself. And again, nothing wrong with singing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We are to do that. But first things first. And just some things we need to think about here. I'll, I'll try to get that here. Um, <clears throat> uh, here... First Chronicles account of this mentions uh, because you did not carry it out the first time the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not treat them according to the rule. So there David acknowledges it's not that the Lord was mean that he wanted to kill anybody, but he, he had already graciously given them the rule, told them the law, told them the consequences of it. So when they break that law and the Lord acts accordingly, it's not the Lord's fault. It's not, it's not the Lord being mean. It's it's, it's God's people being careless about God. So at first David is angry, which is generally how we are when God doesn't bless our efforts like we think they should be. So in his anger, he, he his fear is tainted because he decides, well, I'm just I, God is mean. I'm just going to leave the ark there. I'm not going to do anything. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a difficult reaction we sometimes have. Well, you know. Can't do it my way. I'm not going to do it at all. Whatever. Well, the problem is, Obed Edom uh, is blessed by the ark being there for a few months. The Lord blesses him, and David you know, says, "Well, mistake. Uh, we need to get that thing here, and uh, we need the blessings of God too." And so he goes. And if you read on in chapter six, they uh, get the uh, 
Levites there and they carry it the proper way. They actually go six feet, six steps, and then they stop and they make sacrifices. They're they're very careful. They're very formal. They're very cautious. They're they're, they're not playing around anymore. They're, they're, they 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 kind of learned their lesson, and so then he brings it the rest of the way into um, uh, Jerusalem. And now David worships the same as he did before. He's, he's leaping around. He's dancing. Uh, but now he's doing it as the Lord commands it. And this is acceptable to the Lord. Uh, the problem is, of course, he's got this wife, Saul's daughter, who, you know, he, he expressly wanted back when he became king. And uh, she ha- is not uh, all that good for him. And so he had, for whatever reason, he was in touch. Uh, was wearing just a heat um, and, and a heat bod, you know, just kind of like a linen outer garment. Uh, and he's dancing around, he's rejoicing in the Lord, and she sees that, and so she says here, <clears throat> um, get that in, verse 20, <clears throat> and David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of um, that Saul came out to meet David and said, "How the king of Israel honored him! How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself." I, I don't think that David was. What, what's going on here is like David wasn't wearing underwear or, you know, some sort of uh, indecent. But David was king, and David had dressed down to kind of look like everybody else, very simple. And I think that what's going on here is that what she's saying here is that you have, you're a king, and you should act like king, you should look like the king. And by dancing, you're making a fool of yourself, and you're not dressed as a king, you're not acting like a king. And I think what she's saying is, well, you're embarrassing me. I'm the wife of the king, and you're acting like that. And so, um, you're embarrassing me. And I think that's what's going on here in, in this sense. And so David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And so, here I think we see the other side of worship. There is a sense in which our worship must be according to the word of God. Must be in keeping with who God is. But there is a certain amount of freedom. We can be emotional. We can be spontaneous. And we don't have to be all formal. Uh, and, and, and we always see that there's always those who want to maybe go too far one way or the other. And we want to be Try, try not to do that. It, 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 you know, a lot of it has to do with maybe people's personality. But we don't have to be stiff, stiff and formal in worship. But we've got to make sure that our worship is honoring the Lord and not ourselves, right? And so we see here that the second thing in this passage is the wrong reaction by his wife. Notice how that three times she is referred to as Saul's daughter, which forces us to see her as 
one who really has no concern in her part in all this. She is uh, of the old regime, you might say. And she looks at contempt because you're not doing the way I like it. And you see people like that. Well, if you're not sitting there all somber and if it's not an organ playing, uh, then you're not really old. And I see people talk like that. That'd be the right instrument and all this kind of stuff. How about just rejoice in the Lord? That's what, that's what David's doing. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's made sure it's according to, it's not contrary to God's word, but he's rejoicing in the Lord. And the fact that Michael has no children from the day of her death, we see her lack of fruitfulness in her attitude should, should remind us we got to be very careful about judging others, and everything's got to be done my way, um, and, and, you know, that kind of uh, attitude, because I don't think that, um, I think that we see here an example of what happens here. Um, so again, it doesn't mean we have to jettison all formality and decency. You know, we should dress appropriate for what we're doing, uh, but we you know, it doesn't mean we can't have nice things and orderly procedures. There's nothing wrong with liturgy. There's, there's some, if you've been to some high church places, they have certain liturgies that I think can be very good. Certain prayers, the way they do things. Uh, you know, by the way, we were at, we were at the, uh, Geneva's, uh, Christmas concert last night at, at the first, at the Presbyterian church there in, uh, Geneva Falls. Fantastic. Uh, uh, again, I know I've said it before. This is a great, they do such a good job. But they, there's some songs there. What they, what you, know, you hear some high church songs. It's done in a high church way, you know, and it just, it's really, it's great. Isn't it? there, there's different ways, different kinds of music, different kind of ways to express, um, how much we love the Lord, right? But if our procedures don't affect our heart, then they're useless. If we do things, you know, and it doesn't, we don't know why we're doing it, and it doesn't bring us into a, uh, our emotions into play with, with the Lord Jesus Christ and increase our love for Him, then our procedures, our rituals, whatever we're doing, uh, bears no fruit. So we've got to be careful that we don't get, um, go too far one way or the other. Well, I'll stop there today. I maybe use some of this again for, um, review next week. But any questions that the Holy Spirit would, move in each heart and life, Lord, as we go through the Word of God, or maybe be excited to, to hear what God has to say to us, and to learn eternal truths that matter, things that matter, Lord, as we spend all week dealing with things that, at the end of the day, don't matter, that, that will someday pass away, even the important things, Lord, help us to be faithful, to learn that which is eternal.